Welcome to the third edition of our Courageous Conversations podcast and we are with my very good friend, real estate leadership and mindset coach, Tanja M. Jones. Hi Tanja, how are you? Hello, beautiful. I'm great. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. Oh my God, pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. A lot of us know your story about moving into the real estate leadership space because you were a vendor that was unhappy with the service that you got from your real estate agents, right? Yeah. And so can you just talk to me a little bit about how you actually made that transition, what you were doing before and how you got into the space? Because it's not easy to pivot and change directions in your business. Yeah, yeah. So um, this was back in November 2014. At the time, I was a peak performance coach for business owners, and I didn't really have a niche. You know, I was I was coaching people in hospitality, in travel, in fashion, in production, in design, in photography, and about. Three years prior to doing that, I had studied entrepreneurial leadership for about three and a half years. And one of the key things I learned was really, really successful businesses niche an inch wide and go a mile deep. You are able to deliver greater um, value if you have a specific area of mastery or influence and you're solving a specific problem or adding a particular benefit to a really tight market because you can become a specialist which makes you more valuable because you understand the nuances of your potential clients problems so I was in this inquiry of what would be a niche that I could direct my services in uh, that fits the hedgehog principle in business. And the hedgehog principle is, are you passionate about what you do, but also passionate about business? Because there's a difference. A. B. Do you have mastery in an area where you can really add value and solve problems for people? And then C. Is there an industry that um, can afford your services and have problems that you can solve? So this is one of the things that I learned in my studies and I was looking for where, where could I niche and then there I was with my husband, November 2014, looking to sell our family home. We had an existing relationship with an agent for about a year. He did a great job staying you know, sticky with us and we were oscillating. It came time to, uh, we made the decision to sell. And we invited a couple of other agents in and uh, I just got to really see that there was something missing in the level of connection and rapport and service to our biggest transaction that we'll ever make. And I thought, I reckon I'm not the only one. Started doing some research, started meeting with uh, real estate leaders to find out what challenges they have. And within, I don't know, three months of doing research and meeting with leaders I did my first event, which was uh, for 52 women in Stockdown Lego with Anna Thomas. Uh, and I just haven't looked back since. And it's been four years now. And I've had the privilege of traveling nationally and internationally, working with great people like yourself. Uh, and, um, it, you know, it made sense. But um, reflecting, it, it didn't didn't feel that courageous. Well, I guess it was because I, I was an average consumer that had never listed or sold a house in my life, didn't know anything about the industry. I just knew as a consumer that I was absolutely not happy with the lack of service and it, I wasn't the only one. 
Yeah, that's a great story. I really, really like it. And the, the fact that you you did the research, you looked around, you really understood the issues and then you took action and made change. Yeah, and look, if I'm very transparent, which you know me, you know, Leanne, I like to do, I was literally selling stuff that didn't exist I was I would meet with people find it and I'd be like well tell me what your problems are how much and leaders I'd meet with leaders and say you know how um how much time do you spend navigating the people performance and productivity issues in your business and try to elevate the service standards and the majority of the answers were 80 percent and I'm like wow so what if you got 40% of that time back? What would that make available? And every answer was, I'd grow my business. I'm like, awesome. And they're like, I go, well, I can help you do that. And they're like, well, how? I knew I knew the how, Leanne. Did I have the brochure and the sexy PDF ready to send them to say, here's how and here's the payment plan? No, I didn't. But I knew I, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. I knew I knew the how. So as Richard Branson says, you know, say yes and, and jump it will appear, you know, and, and I guess that was courageous. I was selling stuff that didn't exist, but I that doesn't it doesn't mean it lacks integrity. It just means I backed myself and I knew I could add value. And it all evolved over time based on the needs of your clients. Correct, yeah. What a novel so, concept. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I, I thought I knew what I was going to do and then I dug some more and dug some more and then, you know, I found after doing that um, international research project with Kylie Davis and CoreLogic really found that only 24% of real estate businesses two years ago were making any money and the rest weren't. And fundamentally, and that was in a hot market. That was in a hot market, right? Scary, scary reality now. We know historical data today uh, at the 4th of April 2019 when we're doing this podcast indicates that this year 50% of real estate businesses, if they don't adapt, won't make money, you know, and then a high percentage of those won't even be in business by the end of the year. And it, that's a shame. That doesn't, it doesn't have to be like that. But, yeah, you've got to adapt to what your clients want pretty quickly. That can take us in all kinds of different directions. But what I find interesting is originally a few years ago, technology was driving what we were doing and the changes that we were making in our businesses. But now consumers' uh, expectations have changed massively and they are now driving the change because of the, the way they want to be communicated with, the way they want to transact, the way they want to buy, the way they want to view property. All of it's changing and it's being driven by our consumers. Yeah, yeah. And that's why, you know, that's why I love coaching, Leanne, because when I'm a coach, there's, there's, uh, I literally stand uh, I don't, I'm not standing in the coach's shoes. I'm standing in the consumer's shoes. I'm, if I'm coaching a leader, I'm standing in their clients, which are the franchisees or their principal's shoes. Because I, I, you know, for you to be really effective in business, my belief is you've got to be able to stand in the shoes of those that you have the privilege to serve. And if you don't know in the marrow of your bones what they deal with, what keeps them up at night, how they feel, what motivates, what inspires them, what they're scared of, how can you serve with heart and how can you have a competitive advantage? Because real estate, as you know better than me, it's such a noisy and competitive business. Totally. And if we just keep going out there into people's living rooms and kitchen tables, broadcasting what we do and how we do it, what we do and how we do it, without really connecting to the heart of it and the why, and use technology just to amplify efficiency and effectiveness, we, 
we won't be relative and we will become the taxi industry of real estate and and you know we'll be a victim of our own demise absolutely we have been doing the same thing for a really really long time and now you know it's just not going to cut it anymore so no, it no. is really important to understand the needs of our consumers and where are um, where's the friction Yes, where is the friction? And when and you know what I reckon people they like people by people, Leanne, not product. When they feel that you can feel them, when there's empathy and rapport, they get that you get them. And who do you want to do business with? You want to do business with someone that gets what you um, you know, gets what you're dealing with and then can demonstrate and prove evidence to solve the problem in the least amount of time with the greatest ease and you know, produce the best result and have social proof, I reckon that's what we need to do. And that goes back to your issue with your real estate agent. The, you know, he had actually stayed in touch with you, but he hadn't connected with you in a way that, that felt authentic for you. He was just kind of going through the motions doing, you know, at least he was doing that. A lot of agents don't even stay in touch, but he just didn't stay in touch in a meaningful way. Yeah, and it was really more so when we called him back in, Leanne, to um, you know to have that kind of second um, listing consultation opportunity, and we told him we had called in a couple of agents. You know, to you know, to his credit, he was, you know, he did assume that he, it was his because he was with us for a year. He'd touch base. You know, he wasn't pushy. He wasn't hard. But then when we brought him in and said, okay, we think we're ready to go, he absolutely thought it was his. And, you know, he should have thought that because we gave him every reason. However, as soon as over the, the dining room table we said, you know, I said, look, we've called in a couple of other agents, you know, he clearly uh, was not happy, Jan. Uh, clearly not happy and and you could see he took it personally and that was the first indicator that he was attached to the outcome and he just lost being of service yeah right that's that's really powerful attached to the outcome he was and and he was it's a done deal like honestly I mean I kind of share this in sales training now how does a vendor go from having a relationship with an agent for a year to giving the listing to an agent after 10 minutes of meeting him how does that happen it was all about how they showed up. So Agent A, who we had the relationship with, he, uh, in the moment we told him we were bringing uh, other people in for a competitive, you know, um, point of view or a different point of view, his whole persona, his whole demeanour shifted to disappointment, which highlighted to me he was focused on himself and his agenda. Now, human to human, soul to soul, I get it. He thought it was done. However, when you're face to face with a client and even when they sign the authority, even when you're doing your open for inspections and contracts are happening, you still need to take that higher ground and be in service and not have it be about you. It's just being professional. So when we then met Agent C, because there was an Agent B in the middle, and I liked her because she had social proof of uh, being able to secure the highest value for homes in our area, yet when she came to our house and she asked Lincoln and I questions, we went to answer them and she just cut us off all the time. She actually didn't let us finish speaking. So when she left, I said to Lincoln, what do you think? He said, well, I don't like her. Listen to that. I don't like her. Now, it's not personal. What he didn't like was, I don't like, and I said, why don't you like her? And he said, well, she didn't let me speak. 
She was just pushing her agenda. She didn't let me answer her questions multiple times. Like, I don't want to do business with someone like that. Cool. Then Agent C arrives and he was what I call Switzerland. He was, and I don't know whether he was masterful at neuro-linguistic programming and, and building rapport or whether he was just a natural human connector, but you couldn't feel him or his agenda at all. He met our pace uh, in, of how we walked around and how we spoke. When we sat down at the kitchen table, he literally, Leanne, pushed the sale to the side, meaning his listing kit, he literally pushed to the side his arms leant in and said, so tell me about you guys. You know, what would you love? What would you love to see happen here? And, you know, that's not going to float everybody's boat because we're all different personalities, but I just loved psychologically. He pushed his agenda to the side and made connection the priority. And that wasn't the only, but he kind of had me at hello. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just his energy. But then he just, he was just literally you know, as I share in training, I believe that when we treat a sale like a tender and a really good sales agent treats the tender, a competitive opportunity as an opportunity to do a reverse tender brief, meaning ask really good questions, find out what are your vendors order of priorities in selling their home what's most important and what do you expect from your agent of choice in order of priority and if you're listening as an agent what you want to do then is make sure that everything that comes out of your mouth is in order of my priority don't start talking about the commission or the the, the VPA or the marketing strategy if I've said you know time is of the essence here you want to, you, this is a called value elicitation. He did that really well, Leanne. He really unpacked and brought to the surface what's most important to us. And then when we had that, he just reverse engineered his dialogue to address our values in priority and then demonstrated how he could fulfill on it. And we made a decision right there and then. Did you ask him afterwards whether he had any training in NLP or that's just the way he does things? That's a good question. I didn't. I, I, I really, I didn't. I just was like, wow, like this dude's got it going on. And and he, but I, what I did find out was he was the number one office for the brand he worked with, A, and B, he was the number one office in the suburb. So, you know, no coincidence there. Yeah, exactly. Now, I want to take you back in time a little bit, if I can. Before we started the podcast, you said you'd been reflecting on courageous conversations that you had had with your with your younger self can you share some of those with us yeah sure so, and that's why i love about this podcast you know that it, as i said to you off air i stopped and thought you know like where have i been courageous and what did it teach me and you know i wasn't courageous as a kid you know probably hard to believe now because i come across as pretty you know confident but I, I didn't even have a voice as a kid i was bullied all through primary school and high school and in fact i let it happen so you know i could give you a plethora of of uh, where I wasn't courageous but my first memory was I was 16 uh, or 16 and a half I was um, I needed to for the year 11 or actually might have been just turned 17 I was in no, I was in year 11 and we had to do two weeks work experience and back then so I'm 46 now so we're talking you know 30 years ago back then uh, I really wanted to work at Maya. That was the epitome of retail. That was that was where you, you know, you know. That, I love it. I know, and and I, I was like, I want to work there. So I remember ringing 
and speaking to the um, you know the uh, um, office administrator there, I, I remember getting the phone, and uh, back in those days, the phone was still connected through a spirally wire to a big archaic block that you turned numbers on, and. Um, and I remember ringing and the um, office manager, I said, you know, hi, my name's Tanja. I go to this school and we, we've got um, work experience and I'd really love to come and do two weeks work experience with you. And she said, oh, look, thank you for your call, but we're fully booked. We've got no more places. And I remember, so that was kind of the no. And I just remember this desire in me to go beyond the no. And I don't know where she came from, but I just said, okay. And I just did this big pause and I just, it was like I was fossicking around for some nugget to say to actually get a result. And I just, <laughs> I just said to her, look, I get that. And you know what? Here's the thing. I'm really small. You won't even notice I'm there. I'm tiny and I really, I'm a really good worker and I promise you I'll, I'll do a really good job. She laughed and she said, listen, leave it with me. She walked off. I could hear the click of her heels a bit of a murmur, she came back and I was actually really nervous because it was courageous for me to go beyond the no. And she came back and she said, you're in. And I just remember feeling shocked and excited and, and getting the details and hanging up the phone and just looking out the window of my parents' bedroom and going far out, like, wow. And it, that moment taught me the power of going beyond the no. And so I had this sense of pride at, at, you know, a young age, which was a feeling that was unfamiliar to me. So it's kind of the first, you know, the first feeling of having a courageous conversation. And getting a great result. But what a great thing to learn so young to go beyond the no. Just don't take, don't take the no's. Yeah, and, and respectfully, you know, and, and I, I mean, I just dug deep and kind of, you know, I didn't know what I was going to say, but I think that's a lesson for all of us. You know, where where do we get a no in life, and where do we accept that that's the no? And and no is just it could be a not for now. It could be, you know, no no to the way you're asking. But if you really feel that um you know that something's important or you want something bad enough, I, I believe we have the resourcefulness to go beyond the no. It takes courage, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great story. And um, I know that you had uh, a challenging speaking oh, engagement at some stage. Are you happy to share that with me? <laughs> yes. Uh, my most embarrassing story of my life and the most courageous act I think I've ever done. You know, I can jump out of a plane, no problem. I can make, ba you know, have babies. That's all pretty courageous. But as you know, Leanne, you know, you, you do the speaking circuit a lot. Um, speaking in public is considered, you know, more fearful than dying. When when international surveys happen, people are more afraid of standing up in front of strangers saying something than they are of dying, which is quite. I don't actually, I don't understand that, but that's, um, I guess that's just a reflection of the fact that it doesn't scare me. Yeah, well, it doesn't, right? And that's why you're, you know, you're out there doing it. You put your hand up, and you know, it's it's innate to you. But the, the fact is, people would, generally speaking, globally, rather be in the coffin than deliver the eulogy. And we know that that's because we are afraid of being judged. So my situation was, I think it might have been about twelve years ago. Uh, long story short, I had a friend who had 
emceed this property investment seminar for their friend and client for the past five years in a row. He was going overseas. He rang me. He'd seen me speak um, and he said, you know, I've got a friend who's doing this gig. I think you'd be great. I want to put you forward. Now, at the time, uh, you know, I'd been training and speaking. I mean, you know, from a very young age, I'd been speaking in front of groups as a manager and a leader. Um, but, you know, emceeing was still fairly a new gig for me. Probably the most amount of people I'd spoken in front of was around 120 at the time of his call. And he told me a bit about it and I was like, oh, I said, I don't know. He said it's for 600 people and instantly the butterflies went out of control in my stomach and I got was like, nuts too big for me, you know. And this is what happens, you know, when, you, when you're faced with an opportunity to be courageous you're confronted, you know, you're confronted and your your subconscious mind is like, I don't know that I can do that because you don't have the evidence yet of doing it. So I said yes. And um, anyway, fast, there was a couple of things that happened leading up to the gig that I learned a lot of lessons around preparation where I was relying on the client to give me some information. There was typically, if you can imagine, a Friday night, full day Saturday, full day Sunday, property investment seminar uh, had been planned for months. And, you know, there's maybe eight to 12 speakers over the two days and an evening that it was my responsibility to keep the energy high, keep the vibe great, introduce the speakers and just make it a seamless, on-time, high-octane gig. 11.30 the night before the event, I get a call from the client himself who says, great, look forward to seeing you tomorrow, by the way, no notes on stage. And mistake number one. Wow. I was like, oh, big pause. And he goes, yeah, no, I don't want any notes on stage. Now, he'd been used to my friend Jean, who knew everybody could speak from the heart, right? He didn't need notes, but I'm the new kid on the block. But here's the mistake, and and Leanne, this is why I think we aren't courageous because we seek validation and we say to others what we think they want to hear. My truth was to say, hey, um, that's not going to work for me. But I said, okay, big, big mistake, mistake number one. Anyway, fast forward to the gig. Uh, I... um, when, you know, lots of stuff happened, but if you can imagine Hotel Sofitel, big mahogany doors, you know, open, 600 chairs, huge stage, stage lights, film crew, 40 crew in their bright orange branded T-shirts. The music is cranking. It feels like a Tony Robbins gig and uh, people are starting to arrive Uh, I meet Matt Church, the first speaker. Lots of great stuff happened there, lots of lessons, but I'll cut to the chase. If you can imagine like 600 people running with their show bags, knocking over the chairs to fill up the front first, right? That's the energy. I, it's my time then to get up and open the event. Now, beforehand, you know, I'd I'd sat at the production table with Matt Church. For those of you that are listening that don't know who Matt is, he's the CEO for Thought Leaders. He helps uh, people turn their intellectual property into best-selling books and six, you know, figure speakers. And he's an amazing master at his craft and ranked one of the top speakers in our country and one of the greatest in the world. He's the dude that I've got to introduce first. Um, and he's got his own personal film crew there as well. So it's my time. And he's like, do you want a Red Bull? I don't drink Red Bull. Lesson number two, don't do what you usually do just to fit in. So I'm already adrenalized. So did you, so did you drink a, you had a Red Bull? I had half a Red Bull, right? Like, oh, God, that would have killed me. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
So um, anyway, it comes time to get up on stage and open this thing and um, the energy is off the charts. And, you know, as you've heard me share before, I thought, yeah, I need to go buy a new outfit and I bought this pin sort of um, striped tailored skirt, this crisp white shirt. I thought, yeah, that looks, you know, professional. Yet I didn't consider navigating steps. So I looked like a freaking penguin trying to get on stage, ridiculously hysterical. I get on stage kind of shuffling like Morticia and I stand in the middle and, you know, the lights are bright, the heat is on, everyone's beaming, still rustling and they start to settle and I introduce myself. I say something, you know, hi, Tanja here. Welcome to Hummin' a Hummin' Seminar. It's going to be an amazing two days in an evening. Good on you for choosing to be here and... Crickets. <laughs> yeah, insert the sound of crickets here. I went completely blank and within 30 seconds of opening was not embodied at all. Everyone's, the energy just, it was a crash landing. Then... Uh, I don't know what came over me, but I thought, oh, yeah, this is the time to become a stand-up comedian and be funny, <laughs> as you do. And it was the Australian Open at the time, so I'm standing there going, oh, and so, you know, who's got their tickets to the Australian Open? Like trying to create a segue to latch on to, to make it relevant to Melbourne right now and crash and burn a second time. It's like the floor opened up and the chairs and the people were falling in it at this stage for me, right? It was bad. And I look down through the barrel of the lights. There's this big, you know, scary aisle between the back of the room and me and the client standing there with their arms folded and their hand on their chin and a brow all tense. And I say, James, talking directly to the client in front of 600 of his clients that have been waiting for this for half a year, James, I'm going to need you to take over. Oh, no, James, I've gone blank. I'm going to need you to take over. So Morticia shuffles off the stage. James comes through the middle of the room. 600 heads are watching me get off the stage going WTF. Matt Church comes up to me and I look at him and hold his hands and I just say, mate, I am so sorry. And he just says, Tanja, this is a defining moment. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about right now. Get me out of here is what my mind is saying. James gets on stage and he recovers. He says nothing about what happens. He just takes over, welcomes everybody, tries to, you know, build some kind of energy, introduces Matt Church in the beautiful way he's accustomed to be introduced and Matt gets up and boom, straight away, has everyone up, everyone eating out of the palm of his hand. Meanwhile, I am sitting at the production table and this is the conversation of courage. My ego is going, Tanja, get your bag, get your stuff and get the hell Go out home. of here. No one cares. They don't even want you here. Who the, who the hell do you think you are? What the hell do you think you were doing? You cannot do this. Go. And on the other side of the ring is my soul going, you put your hand up for this. You're not going to quit. You're going to get over yourself. You're going to listen to Matt. You're going to find a segue and you're going to get up there and recover and get on with it and serve like you said you would. This battle of my mind went on for a good 10 minutes and I did make the decision um, to stay and, um, you know, courageously as I could hear Matt wrapping up, 
walked back up to the stage. He gets off, gives me the eyeball of, you got this. Um, I shuffle Penguin Morticia style back onto the <laughs> <laughs> And you could see everyone's like looking at me. They're all high again and then their concern kicks in, like this cloud of concern. And I just looked out, stood in the middle. I'd listened for a segue to kind of build, weave some relevance in. And I never forget four rows in, there's this guy in this cream outfit that just puts his fists together and looks up and mouths, you can do it, and to me, and I just took a breath and I wasn't amazing by any stretch of the imagination, but I did recover, wrapped up, bawled my eyes out driving home, wore pants the next day and and just made a choice to rock the stage and serve and um, had negotiated to have some notes based on what happened and not being really present. And really did an awesome job over the following two days. I was still a bit Bambi. I was a little wobbly, but I'll never forget end of day two when all the guests are leaving and I, as the MC, just choose to stand at the door and, you know, say goodbye to as many people. People were like, who was that girl Friday? And I'm like, I don't know. That was an imposter. You know, they were like, you did a great job. That was full on. And then the guy I called the angel in cream, he was, you know, coming through the crowd and we just saw each other. We didn't say a word. We just had a huge hug, a tear in the eye and he walked off and you know, that that definitely was my most courageous act because Leanna would have been super easy and probably I would have been forgiven for packing up and leaving because I But sucked. it was only super easy in the minute, right? In the minute to leave, but long term you would have you would have taken much longer to recover from it if you ever did. Well, that would have been that would have really uh, influenced a belief system that I can't do it, you know. So when we you know, like I really believe, and that's why I'm a huge fan of Dr. Brené Brown's work. And for those that are listening, if you haven't watched the TED Talks, The Power of Vulnerability and Listening to Shame, please go and do this after listening to, to this podcast because really if greatness is on the other side of the door and the door represents fear, it takes vulnerability to, you know, to walk through it. But courage is the doorknob. You have to take that step. You got to turn the door knob and step through. Otherwise, you, we just end up, you know, a self fulfilling prophecy of our limiting beliefs. And it was a turning point for me. I, I actually, knowing we were having this conversation, and and I, it's one of the, it is literally one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Not at. The I was going to say that to you. It was. It, it sounds like it was really a defining moment. For yeah, you. As, as Matt said, because, you know. I either crumble or I, I act courageously and I chose to act courageously and it's great content. Like I share this in training. I share this when I teach about confidence and and I actually am going to contact Matt and because I had a fear. I wrote to him after and a big apology letter and he ended up sending me this package of great books of his and I'll never forget his card. He wrote, it, that's nothing compared to how what I've stuffed up. So, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. I thought, yeah, you're just telling me that. I'm sure you didn't stuff up as bad as that. But anyway, um, but I, I, my biggest fear was that Matt would turn that footage into here's what not to do in his training. Oh, gosh. You know? Yeah, he could have too, he right? But no, he didn't. Um, but in fact, it was just this week thinking about doing this conversation. I thought, you know what? I'm going to reach out and I don't think he'd have it. It's so long ago. But, man, if he has it, I would love it because I would show it. How cool would oh, that be to go? Yeah. Oh, and here's, here's actually what happened. Um, 
But, you know, most of us, you know, what are the ingredients of courage? It's just, as we've heard, feel the fear and do it anyway. It's, you know, it's temporary, but the benefits on the other side of it are uh, forever, like forever changed. Super powerful. I think that is a perfect note to wrap it up on. If anybody can learn anything from that is just, you know, as you said, feel the fear and do it anyway because the other side of those courageous conversations is where all of the good stuff happens. That's where the magic happens. That's where we get to experience our greatness. So, yeah, good on you, Leanne, for doing the courageous conversations and inspiring your, you know, your listeners to be bold, be big, be brave. We're going to stuff up, but we can dust ourselves off, pick ourselves up and keep going again. And that's what life's about. Absolutely. And thank you so much for spending some time with us. We really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Leanne. Thanks. Bye-bye.